Amen. <clears throat> Brother Freeman, I'm not used to having anybody in the audience older than me and preach longer than me. I saw him coming down the aisle. I didn't know who he was, and I took his hand and said, Do you want to be baptized into Christ? <clears throat> he uh, thought that was a good idea, and he couldn't even remember when he had, you know, so maybe we ought to do it again. That's the way I am a lot of time. I, when I talk about Moses, they think I knew him personally. So, you know, it's lovely. Man, this is lovely. Man, I'm enjoying this a lot. Uh, I, I cheated on you a little bit, uh, being over in Africa uh, for so long. And this is an excuse and everything. But I really wish you had uh, someplace, Mountain View Family Church in Arizona, asked me to come do a building marriages at last seminar. And uh, I gave them all these handouts and stuff that are a lot of little tidbits. We have a lot of fun with it tonight. This is more practical stuff and good little stuff to just kind of aid, uh, urge you on and motivate you in your marriage. Tonight's message is called Giving Your Marriage Mouth-to-Mouth Resuscitation. And uh, one of these things I wanted to read to you first <clears throat> is something I wrote. Uh, I was coming home from a trip uh, in, uh, I don't know where I was, but I was coming in. And this just happened. It was the day, it was the day before I got my uh, anniversary. It was July the 3rd, in fact, 1981. And uh, this was just some of the thoughts I had. And I jotted them down on paper. Uh, and it goes like this. He was a big man, overweight, balding, 50-ish. Her hair was dyed, but it didn't hide the gray. He got off the plane just ahead of me as I returned to Tulsa from an out-of-town seminar. They met, kissed, and embraced unembarrassed in front of a hundred people. And they just stood there, relishing each other's presence, drunk on their adoration of each other, sighing loudly, smiling, looking into each other's eyes. My stomach is just shaking from nervousness, she said. All the way up the elevator, I thought, he's finally coming home. I purposely fell in behind them as they walked. Now, they didn't know I was anywhere in the world. And she said, I told everyone, I'm going to the airport to meet my husband. Everybody at the office knows you're coming home. He had suitcases in either hand, and he explained, I didn't want to check any luggage. I just wanted to hurry and be with you. And she begged him until he let her carry the lighter of the two so I can hold your hand. I heard more sighs and ahs. They giggled and pranced across the parking lot toward their car, and I stood watching them until I lost sight of them. I got in my car and hurriedly wrote down these lines. I had just witnessed what all the world needs to see. I don't know his salary or what kind of car they drove or house they own. Their clothes said middle class. But whatever thing they have or don't have, I concluded they are really rich. Somewhere in here, uh, I had another on a comic strip. I'm always collecting stuff like this and really kind of let it out when I... When I go out, I didn't even have the title of this one. I think, yeah, I think it's for better or worse. You watch that one sometime. Anyway, she's decided, I guess this guy, Patterson, isn't he? And he's a dentist. But uh, he, she's decided to spice his life up. You know, they've been married a long time. And you women can relate to this. And some of the men will unfortunately relate to this. Because the scene shows her in a beautiful evening dress. And a bottle of wine held high, hair glistening and made up. He's sitting there looking dumb as husbands are prone to do sometime. And her thoughts are, ah, the sensual evening, uh, just the two of us and no kids at home. And on the second picture of the thing, you see uh, her reaching across the candlelit table 
for two, and she says the lovely hostess, provocatively attired, wafts a hint of musk as she moves, her hair glistening with a new uh, radiance. And then she turns her back to him, and he's looking, and the uh, drool is running out of his mouth. As she's headed back for the kitchen, and she says, and she's thinking, as she glides over to the sink, he stares, bewildered by the change. And then he speaks. Are you gaining weight? <clears throat> and I wish you could see what happens to the hair and the dress. You know, I mean, it's all gone in the last scene, you know. So some of us really do play the clod in this thing. So we're talking tonight about pumping new life into, into old marriages. And uh, humans try strange things. We try to live one way, and then we want the benefits of living another way. Uh, so we uh, try to pump, uh, and I'm going to tell you that pumping new life into old marriages is far ahead of any alternative because we abandon one marriage and get a new one, and this way God's way is cheaper, and it's the same rules. And no matter if when you ever get where you really belong in marriage, you're going to have to live by the same rules that God gave in the first place. And on top of that, there'll be no failure complex. You will be happier if you stay in God's will. From an Oklahoma City paper, I pulled out the clipping and the classifieds that read, for sale, one wedding dress, size 9, double bed, used once. And I just thought of what story there is behind that little classified. Now, you see, what we've got to learn in life is to obey the rules. Uh, it, there are rules. And these rules are guarantees. They're not, they're not theories. They're not possibilities. We've got to understand that God thought all this up in the first place, and God knows more about it. God knows more about sex than we do. And we sort of want to separate between the two as if they were two different things. And yet, when you think about sex or happiness or anything, you've got to realize that God, the Almighty, is sitting back there in the creation story saying, what would really be good? And on an Almighty mind, it says seven times in the first chapter of the Bible, and God saw what He had made, and behold, it was very good, that God was saying this would be the way to do it. So we've got to explode some of the myths I am so lucky, we say, to have you. And luck has nothing to do with it at all. Another, another couple says, we never disagree, you know, and you probably have other problems besides senility. One couple said to me, we never have cross words, and the only people that don't have cross words are deaf, mute people, and they have cross looks. I'm going to tell you, I want you to understand that. They have the ideal marriage, and there is no such thing either as an ideal marriage. Marriages may be made in heaven, but they come in a kit, and they got to be put together in the earth by two stumbling, fumbling people. And pre-fatal care, different from prenatal care, prevention is the best way in everything. I need to know before I, you to know before we get really get in the bulk of this sermon of just just six ideas tonight to pump new life, to give your marriage mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. And that's got more connotations to it, really, than, than the lesson may indicate, and you'll pick up on all of those. But you do need, need to know that we can recover. We're a nation that believes, well, you know, something went wrong. One guy said to me, well, you know, we disagreed about this, and it was time to bail out. And, and we tend to do this without understanding that recovery is a marvelous physical phenomenon. And I'll give you a few of those. Walt Disney went broke seven times before he ever uh, came up with a great uh, Disney enterprise and Disneyland out in California and finally Disney World, etc. J.C. Penney thought of the great nationwide chain after he'd been in a, in a nursing home for, for some period of time. 
The great Milton was blind when he wrote Beethoven, went deaf before he finished his last symphony. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the only president in our country to have campaigned successfully four times for the presidency of the United States, did so from a wheelchair because from early in life he was a victim of polio. Uh, one of the greatest presidents we would know in history would be Abraham Lincoln. And he came out of the ashes of poverty in order to rise up. And I had one clipping somewhere of the many times he failed. And, and you don't know who it is before you get to the bottom line. Failed in Congress, ran for this and ran for that. Failed and failed in business and failed in this. There's about 15 or 20 of those before he said ran successfully for the presidency of the United States of America. And then you go to Ulysses S. Grant, who overcame alcoholism to be both the leader of the great northern army during the Civil War and to be the next president of the United States. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, you know, did so from a prison. And so other people have faltered. And when people say, you know, we've had a lot of problems in our marriage, we need to ask several questions about our problems in or out of marriage. Number one is you're saying, man, my problems describe me. They, they describe why I can't go there. They describe the boundaries and prisons I'm in and cannot break out because I am a victim of these kind of circumstances. You need to ask these questions. Did anybody else like you ever have a problem like that? And no matter what the problem is in this audience here tonight, there are several million people in America that have had your problem. Uh, I, I used to have people come into my office, Jody, and they'd say, Man, you, you have, let me tell you this, shut the door, you have never heard anything like I'm going to tell you. And probably I had not for three or four days. Uh, because guess what? If in the intimacy of this little family circle here tonight, we let it all hang out and told all the problems and bad thoughts and stuff we were going through, all of us just totally open, we would laugh each other for our lack of originality. Because we're just humans and we've gone through all kinds of things. And so uh, others have faltered. So did anybody else ever have a problem like this? Did anybody ever succeed? Did anybody ever come out of a problem like this? And we'll start looking for the solution-conscious people and then do what they did. And we'll understand that we can recover from a lot of bad things, including a lot of bad marriages. You also need to know that help is really there if you really want it. Uh, at this stage of the game, I usually play in a marriage seminar, Rupert Holmes, The Escape. I never knew you liked pina coladas. And, Jody, I love doing that because I do this in a lot of conservative churches that are worried about a lot of things. And I go to boom, pop, 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 and all the instrumental music is going on and the smoke and, play, you know, stuff going all over. Anyway, I don't have all of that, and I'm not going to sing it, and you'll praise the Lord for that. But I am going to read you the song. Song goes, Rupert Holmes. I was tired of my old lady. We'd been together too long, like a worn-out recording of a favorite song. So while she lay there sleeping, I read the paper in bed. And in the personal column, there was this letter I read. If you like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain, if you're not into yoga, if you have half a brain, if you like making love at midnight in the dunes of the Cape, I'm the love that you've looked for, write to me and escape. I didn't think about my old lady. I know that sounds kind of mean, but me and my old lady had fallen into the same old dull routine. So I wrote to the paper, took out a personal ad, and though I'm nobody's poet, I thought it wasn't half bad. Yes, I like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. I'm not much into health food. I am into champagne. I've got to meet you by tomorrow noon and cut through all this red tape. 
at a bar called O'Malley's where we'll plan our escape. So I waited with high hopes, and she walked in the place. I knew her smile in an instant. I knew the curve of her face. It was my own lovely lady, and she said, Ah, it's you. And then we laughed for a moment, and I said, I never knew. You liked pina coladas, getting caught in the rain, and the feel of the ocean and the taste of champagne. If you like making love at midnight in the dunes of the Cape, you're the lady I've looked for. Come with me and escape. I got a question for you tonight. Why didn't he know? Why didn't she know? In all of the counseling that I've done of the guys that live on Straight Street, and we all end up living on Straight Street, I'll talk about that in just a little bit because that's one of the points in the thing of how to get away from that pull. But we all live in the heavy, and the voices call us out. And, and, and there's, there's this vision, there's this opportunity. I can get out of this thing that I'm in, this, this routine, this, this dullness. We've just grown apart. I mean, there was love there, there were sparks, there was dynamite at one time, but it's all gone, and the years have passed, and boy, oh boy, here's someone who says, if you like, I like all of that. And she says, if you like that, meet me. I've got to meet you. And he sits, can you see him sitting there at the bar, and he's nursing whatever it was he was drinking, looking at the door feverishly. And then she walks in the door and right away he catches the face he's seen for all those years. The lady's sitting beside him in the bed reading with the onion and the goo and the curlers on her head. And he's sitting there reading the paper and thinking, man, this is about as dull as it can get. And all of the stuff, pina coladas and dancing in the rain and making love in the dunes of the Cape and, and, and champagne and, and going places and travel just appeals to him. But it also it appealed to her and they were looking for somebody and what do you know, they found each other. Well, the end of the song tells you the rest of the story because they recognize, ah, if that's who you are, please forgive me for not knowing. Maybe we ought to let our mates know who we are. Maybe all the things that you're not getting and all the joys that you're not having, maybe you ought to tell them, you know, I'm being uh, naked and open here, but I really like that. I think we ought to break out. I think we ought to plan our escape. Because guess what? We are all so very alike. And someone will say in all of this, you know, well, I'm just not the affectionate kind. And those, those people do not exist. We've got to understand that is true. And some clot, no, some husband will come to me and say, well, you know, she's always wanting to kiss or always to hold. And sometimes it's the other way around, the man and the woman. And the man is the one that has it, needs it, wants it. And the woman just says, well, you know, I'm just not that kind anymore. And, and, and a guy says, I'm just not that kind. And I ask him, what's that got to do with anything? I had a lady come in my office, and I really remember this well. And she used the terms, my skin cries out to be touched. And he never touches me. And I'm thinking, why? How do we get in that kind of situation? How come we're not talking? 
How come when you're sitting there aching, you know, and he can't read your mind, he ought to be able to, and he should be, but he's not, and reality is there. Why can't you say, would you please just hold me? What is there about us that is so filled with pride and fear that we can't say to somebody else, please kiss me, please uh, hold me? I was talking to an alcoholic woman, by the way, and some of these are kind of dangerous. And counseling situations take on a lot more protection than I grew up with. But anyway, this lady, whatever age she was, I pulled her out of the ditch. She was, she was in a ditch, and as drunk as she could be, vomited on me, and I took her back to my office, and we got her car pulled out and all. And she sat there crying and all, and she said before she left, could I just sit on your lap? I understand that's pretty dangerous. I'm not about to tell you what I did. <laughs> but isn't that pathetic? That somebody just feels like, could I just, could I just have somebody touch me? The amazing thing about all of this stuff, there was another lady that kept coming to my office, and she would always say, oh, Marvin, it happened again. I don't know how many times this has happened, but he came over, and I'm lonely. And this happened and that happened and I ended up in bed with him. And, oh, God, I'm so sorry. And this had happened several times. She's confessing it over. We're praying together. And I said to her, you know, girl, this isn't so bad because of what you did. It's bad because you didn't get what you were looking for. Because she wasn't just into sex. I mean, that's not really where it's at. Sex is a large, powerful thing. But it's usually the result of, not the cause of, and or the root cause of the thing. And all she was trying to say, somebody please tell me I'm okay. Somebody, somebody please say to me, you're worth something. I feel good being with you. Raise my self-esteem. And here's this song, and it just troubles me. And, and the wedding bells can go from clink to clank to clunk. And so we're talking tonight about putting new life into old marriage. And so we'll just get into this, okay? i got six points tonight and the first to make in, in giving your marriage mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. How do you do it? How do you pump new life into old marriage? How do you get the spark back? How do you, in a fireplace, you know to get in there and you fan and you move some ashes away and fan and pretty soon there's a glow and then there's a flame. But how do I do it in my life? That's where I want it. I don't want it in a fireplace. I want it between you and me, babe. Well, number one, you got to want to. That's Oklahoman for want to. You got to really want to. Sir Edmund Hillary was the first man to scale the formidable heights of, uh, of Mount Everest. And uh, you, you talk to that guy, <coughs> Sir Edmund Hillary, and you say, how, do, how does a guy do that? You've watched him on television, the, scaling this uh, straight up and sometimes out, and they're hanging over so many thousands of feet. How does a guy do it? Sir Edmund Hillary, how do you finally stand on the top of Mount Everest? And he says to you, oh, I, I don't know, I was just out walking around, and I kept making wrong turns, and finally I stood on the top, and they started sticking flags in my hand and naming camping equipment after me. I don't really think it happened that way. I think Sir Edmund Hillary would say to you, I'm going to tell you how you get to the top of Mount Everest. You bleed, and you think Mount Everest, and you dream Mount Everest, and you eat Mount Everest, and you read Mount Everest, and you break bones, and you, you get stitches, and you have failures again and again and again, and you resolve and resolve, and you will not give up. And the time comes when you stand on the top. We're looking around wanting good jobs, boy. Young people are coming along. I want, what I want to be is the chairman of General Motors. I tell you, if he'd just move over, I'd like to have his job. Let's go talk to him. How did you get to be chairman of the board of General Motors? Oh, I just showed up for work every day. 
And when they had a promotion, they looked around and finally there weren't any more jobs and finally they gave me that one. We want our marriages to get on the top of Mount Everest that way. And it ain't ever going to happen. It's the result of bleeding and trying and forgiving. Large doses of love and acceptance and forgiveness. But I tell you, when you stand on the top of the mountain, you'll be glad you're there and the cost will seem so small. It'll be kind of like Jacob and Rachel in Genesis 29 and verse 20. And he worked seven years to get that woman, and they seemed unto him but a few short days for the great love he had for her. Somebody said, well, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Isn't it good that we're not dogs? <coughs> and this is no trick. You've got to realize that it can survive. Others have. Yours can too. But most of all, are you willing for it to survive? You see, there aren't any unsolvable problems. There are people who will not solve. There's one who will and one who won't. But it's not the problem's fault. You've got to understand, first of all, that if you want new life in your marriage, it can happen if you lean on God. And it's easier than splitting the blanket and starting all over again. And facing up to your problems is a bunch better than running the rest of your life, number one. Number two, realize it takes time. I mean, we're one of those instant people. You know, I saw that sign on the highway, antiques manufactured while you wait. You know, that's what we want in life. We want to throw the egg in the barnyard and hear it crow in the morning. I mean, you know, we're an instant grab. Give me patience, Lord, and give it to me tonight. I mean, we want it immediately. It takes time. Rome wasn't built in a day. And airplanes and houses and jobs and relationships, it takes time. And so you have to do special things for each other. And now it's time to talk about James Dobson's The Straight Life. Oh, i got a whole sermon on that one. He, he, I call this one The Pull to Adultery. He said eventually after courtship and you find the one. Oh, the one. And the, and, and the planning and the wedding, man, and the honeymoon. And it's all so neat. And nobody else in the world ever had a love like you've got. And then you move into your house, which is on Straight Street. And the stories say they lived happily ever after, but they didn't. They had kids and colic and problems and setbacks and all kind of things. And living on Straight Street where everybody else lived, the voices begin to call you. They're not really bad voices, and they call. And we all listen, and some of us, maybe all of us, make blips out there, some innocent, some dangerous, and some fatal. One of those voices is pleasure. Hey, John, when's the last time you were having any fun? Come out here with us, John. And there's a million faces to this voice where we say, Yeah, oh man, where I am, I'm in bed with my old lady and this is happening and the ad is in the personal column. And maybe it isn't anything as bad as that, but the voice is called. And you've got to get out there because it's been a long time, man, since I had any fun. And you make little blips, but you come back home to Straight Street. Another one is romance, and that's the, that's the tragic one. That's the woman I... Showed you here. Uh, I'm going to put a little romance back. When, when's the last time you had a candlelight dinner? When's the last time they were roses? Or, or you dressed up for each other? Or, or you went off a, into a motel somewhere and just got away from the kids and everything and were just together? The amazing thing is somebody will say, We don't have the money for that kind of stuff. And the kids came along, you know, and you just can't do that anymore. And the Greek word for that is baloney. <clears throat> I say to them, you know anybody else with this problem? Oh, yeah, all of our friends don't have much money, a lot of kids. Wonderful, keep their kids and then you keep theirs. That's the end of that problem. 
Why doesn't it dawn on people? You need to keep my kids. You know that my kids are, uh, are moving around to get me moved in next door to them. Right as I speak, I got here away from home. The doc said we have a buyer for the house. They want the house. And the house we made an offer on next door. You know why they want us next door? Because we keep the kids while they go off to the motels and the cabins and go places. And we're both happy. But you come home and your wife is dressed like that and the candles are on the table and the guinea hen under glass is on the table and you'll say, what's wrong with you? Which inspires her greatly to do it again. But the voices call, romance. Oh, when is the last time? And here I sat in the bed with that. You know, and then another voice calls that I'm not going to pay a whole lot of attention to. And that's sex. You're going to be amazed, I think, when I tell you that's not the big voice. Sex is in almost everything, but it is rarely the cause. Rarely anybody says, this ain't good sex. I'm going where the sex is good. It's the result of other things. But, but I'm going to talk about that one lightly because those voices call, and it is out there in a variety of ways, whether it is pornography or actuality or prostitution or wherever, it's going to call, and you're going to say, boy, you know, when was the last time I really made love? And it was really like it ought to be. Man, i got to... And the voices are going to call. The other one, and I think it's the big one, is ego. I need my ego stroked. I'm not about to tell you that except that I just did. And you're not about to tell each other, I need you to tell me I look good. I need you to tell me there was a good sermon. I need you to tell me, hey, honey, you look good as you're going off to work here today. And, oh, you did so good. And, and, the, and the commission you got or the job you got or this was, oh, honey, that was a great meal. And, and, you know, we're feeding each other's ego. You see, what really happens is we go to school and all these athletics and everybody's got cheerleaders. What in the world are you going to do with cheerleaders? And it's this home court advantage. Every team, professional otherwise, wins more games at home than anywhere. Why do they win more games at home? Because people are there feeding their ego and believing in them. And I need that so bad. I'll do nearly anything for you to feed my ego. You relate to that? Well, what happens is, you know, is that we give in to these voices. And sometimes they're fatal. Sometimes sometime the guy and the young secretary or this, uh, this person who looks so good out here, and you say, man, listen, look where I'm at, and look who she is and, or he is and, and what I could have. Man, I've got to get out there. I mean, it's, it's going to cost a whole lot, but, oh, man, it's going to pay. And you marry that woman, and, boy, it's wonderful. The honeymoon is wonderful. And so you move in, and guess where you live? Everybody lives on Straight Street. And it's really tragic in life to see people who have jumped out of one straight street into another and another. And one woman where I preached said to me, Marvin, I would not tell you how many times I have been married. I'm really thankful in her case because, hey, it's never the end that God has got her in a marriage now of a committed man. Oh, I wish I could tell you another thing about it, but I'd be revealing who they are and I really don't want to do that. But let's simply say that God has placed them in an unusual place of service to the Lord. Because you don't, you don't ever go too far. But you've got to realize it does take time, and you've got to work on that. Now, now, let's come back to the solution. Come on, if we live on straight street and pleasure and romance and sex and ego are called, what do we do about all these strong voices calling? And the answer is this. Put those good voices into your marriage. What about you just working on you and your 
mates sit down and working together. When's the last time we've been having any fun? We're going to have fun together. I've been gone from my wife a long time and had one night at home and grabbed a plane and came here. I'll have one night at home when I go back and leave again. But this time I'll leave with her. And we'll jump in my pickup truck and drive all the way to Texas. And in ten days, I've only got one place, to, one time to preach. And we can really be together. We want to have some fun. Put fun in your marriage. Put romance. Come on, guys. Come on, women. Because sometimes it really is either one of you that you think, well, you know, you've been married ten years, twenty. Come on, where's romance? It ought to be inside your marriage until the day that you die. i got an older sister. I'm the baby at 73 in my family. My, my sister's 84, 85. And they've been married 60-some-odd years like Brother Freeman been preaching. And I asked Lee one time, because when they meet together, I'm at their house, and they're sloppy. They're, they're just sugary sloppy. I'm here visiting with Adele, my sister, and Lee walks in the door. He said, hi, honey. And they embrace one another. These 80-year-old things. <laughs> and then wife's going, good, good to see you. And hugging and holding. And I'm like, right, right. I've seen, you know, seven acts of this now. Stop. <laughs> and I said to him, Lee, you guys are so romantic with each other for all these years, 60-some-odd years. Uh, what's the key? Uh, I don't even think we use the word anymore, courting. Do you? Is that even you use it anymore? But courting is the dating thing. And he said simply, court your wife all her life. Or like Zig Ziglar said that I told you about, you, you, uh, you work real hard to make the sale, now service the account. So bring romance and bring good sex. I mean, uh, some, where, where in the world was I recently when somebody said, oh, yeah, I know where I was, in Africa. And this elder of ours was saying, my wife and I were trying to just be, you know, good Christians. And, of course, good Christians wouldn't do much sex because, I mean, where would they get that? Well, ask God who made it all. Come wakey-wakey, you know. And he said, I'm in a real conservative church, and they had a sex therapist come to our church. He said, I learned so much, you know, because you think you know it all. And God wants you to know all about it because He made it and He gave it to you. And this woman is the woman who's given herself bodily and sexually to you. And this man has done the same thing. And you ought to learn all there is to know about it because like everything else God has done, He wants you to know what it's like and use it and enjoy it to its fullness. So bring it into your marriage. How's your sex life? And the last one's ego. Would you rather... Compliment your mate or let the wind out of their sails. I know a lot of people that do that. Oh, i got to get home to the old battle axe. I just heard from the war department and that kind of stuff like that. And we're all laughing, but in many ways she's going to make you pay. I'm going to promise you that. So feed each other's ego. Bring those, bring those things into, into the marriage. Number three, do what's right, not what feels good. We, we are in a world today, and the old country and western song, if it feels good, do it. If it hurts, leave it alone. That's not really the way it works. Well, I don't feel good. Well, you ought to pray about it. Oh, I don't feel like praying. Have you ever said that? Are you guys praying together? We, we're just not there. We just don't feel like praying. Do it anyway, you know. I went to the doctor, and he said, you you got a heart condition, and we're going to have to operate on you. And I said to him, you know, I don't feel like an operation, you know. And he said, you're going to die, and I all of a sudden felt like an operation. So do what's right because, listen to this, feeling good comes from doing right. You read in the Bible that the Ethiopian eunuch of becoming a Christian went on his way rejoicing. He didn't rejoice and become a Christian. He became a Christian and then rejoiced. 
He did what was right. And when you do what's right, ask yourself this bottom-of-the-line question with all of your disagreements, what is the right thing? What is the God thing? What is the Bible thing to do? And if you do that, I'm going to promise you that God says, my promises of blessings comes to the people who obey me. And we try to get the blessings without doing what is right. Good feeling comes from doing right. Do what you're supposed to in marriage and you will receive. I got, I'm got. i play with you a little bit because the third one is affection. Affection. Let me get to page 9 and page... Uh, which one I want to read? On page 11 first, okay? Because a lot of people are just not, just not doing the affection bit enough. And tonight, Jody, I want to motivate them, all right? So I'm going to read you some survey. This is not Marvin Phillips stuff. This stuff's real. This stuff's true. <clears throat> in the paper, it's got to be right because it was in the paper. Woman wins suit against oral surgeon. Kissing is worth $275,000. Some of you did not know that. Claire Tommy told a Wayne County Circuit Court judge that she didn't feel anything when she kisses her husband. And the jury decided the lack of sensation was worth $275,000. Maybe you'd like to hear about that. The jury ruled in favor of Mrs. Tommy, 31, and her husband, Frank, of suburban Sterling Heights, who sued as the result of a dental operation in 1968. Mrs. Tommy was awarded... <laughs> here's a funny one. Mrs. Tommy was awarded $260,000, said the operation left her lower lip and lower jaw permanently numb, caused a strain on her relationship with her husband. It just isn't the same, she said, and the jury of four men and two women also awarded her husband 15000 I don't understand that. The couple sued a Detroit oral surgeons group, Bloom Associates, which said it would seek a new trial. In the operation, Mrs. Tommy, Tommy said that a part of the drill broke and embedded in her jaw. Later, an x-ray disclosed a bit of metal in her jaw. It was removed, she said, but the numbness remained. Now, look, look if it's worth that much, okay? This husband before, before you married said, I can't help myself. And now that he can help himself. You ought to declare an end-of-the-month sale on these kisses, you see, because they really are worth all. Are you motivated? Aren't you glad you're here to find this out? If you, if you can't be motivated from that one, let me read you another one. Kissing costs you calories. Ha, ha, ha. All right? Everybody's trying to lose weight. Here's a new way. Kiss. I know it's true because it's in the paper. New York, UPI. Even love has its price in an age when the energy conscious are counting up the cost of everything from gasoline to a kiss. Italian nutritionists, who else? Armed with a computer have calculated that the energy cost of a kiss varies between 6 and 12 calories, depending on intensity. According to an article in the Environmental Nutrition Newsletter, a round of lovemaking, I will question that term, can burn up as many as 300 calories or as few as 120 calories, with fervor being the key to energy consumption. The newsletter said, aren't you glad you're here? If you choose, you are dangerously silent. If you choose this as a method of weight reduction, you can expect to lose 9.13 pounds in a year's time, environmental nutrition said. If you're not interested in losing weight, you can instead consume an extra 13.77 pounds of milk chocolate in exchange for this calorie expended in these activities. On an annual basis, three kisses a day at an average of nine calories, up to a 52-week tab of 9,566 calories. Are you with me? Two amorous interludes a week at 212.5 calories per episode. 
That takes a real calculator there. Point five. Work out to 22,100 calories in energy used over a full year. The grand total for kissing and lovemaking on that schedule is 31,955 calories of energy consumption in 12 months, the newsletter concluded. And again, we've got a lot of things to go on. But you know what I'm saying? I'm saying if kissing is so valuable, how come it's so scarce? And it is, it is across the board scarce. Older couples don't, don't, don't fall for the fact, well, you know, we're getting older. I asked a lady one time that I thought had a very affectionate and good marriage, when do you quit having the need of just being affectionate? And she said with great seriousness, I don't think that ever leaves you. I don't think that ever happens. And I see a lot of couples who don't kiss anymore, don't hug. They're just, the affection is not there. And they say to one another, well, you know, but we love each other and we both know it and we're comfortable and everything's going fine. And pretty soon the guy's got somebody and guess what? He is kissing and holding on her like he was going out of style. Somebody's missing the point. And somebody better realize that there is an affectionate need in every one of us that will not die. This elder was teaching on this in South Africa last week. And he said, I don't know, Marvin, when does that stop? And I said, how would I know? I'm only 73. <laughs> the Kinsey Report, some of the older ones will remember that. And we thought, oh, people weren't talking about sex, and they never did. And, and they talked about older women and their sex life and words that described it. And one lady said, older lady, a long time ago, this was probably the 60s, and she was in her 70s or 80s at that time, and she said, my husband and I called it the pleasure exchange. Isn't that a neat term? The pleasure exchange. See, sex is giving. That's the way you get. It's the pleasure exchange. I make you feel good. I do what you like, what pleases you. And you do what I like and what pleases me. And the marriage works out really well. Okay. Uh, Fifthly is praise. A little praise goes a long way. i got another one on that, page 12 on this thing. Uh, you know, everybody needs praise. Um, uh, like, my, like my grandson who said, I, th- I think I've already told you that. I'm forgetting now. All right, senior moments are coming on. But didn't I tell you about him saying that I, I'm proud of you? Yeah, I did. I'm proud of you is more important than I love you. Think, think of that. Would you think of that again tonight? Saying I'm proud of you. You know, because you're going to love somebody no matter what they do, bad or good. That can be on the way to death row, and you'd cry and say, I love you, but you're not proud of them. And we need, we need praise. And I talked last night about praise your kids into greatness, and it's so powerful, and we need it today. Uh, and so I've got several things on that. Listen to this poem that I think is really appropriate for tonight. Uh, Amid the cares of married life, in spite of toil and busy strife, if you value your sweet wife, tell her so. There was a time you thought it bliss to get the favor of a kiss. A dozen now won't come amiss. Tell her so. Don't act as if she's past her prime, as though to please her were a crime. If ever you loved her, now's the time. Tell her so. Never let her heart grow cold. Richer beauties will unfold. She's worth her weight in gold. Tell her so. And then these four lines. You are hers and hers alone. Well, you know, she's all your own. Don't wait to carve it on the stone. Tell her so. There was one I'm not going to read. 
but I'm going to tell you about it. If I can find it. Yeah, there it is. Love for wife. You've got to be creative, guys. I mean, that's a, that's a neat thing. Uh, we get so predictable with each other, you know. One woman said in sex, I can tell when my husband turns the page. That's predictable. I know exactly what's coming next. Another one said, we watch the news at 10 o'clock. He wants to go to bed and have sex. It's that predictable. And that ain't going to work. And there are too many marriages that are visual aids of that terrible fact. Well, this one was, and I just got to tell you, because there's three columns to this. It was in the newspaper. Love for wife keeps Chicago man on the bench. And this was Fred and Donna Grunberg. Uh, he is 47. Donna is 37. And he got the idea of driving by the same sign that she also drives by from her separate job. And it said, rent this space. And he got the great idea and found for 236 a year rental, $25 every time he changed the sign, he began leaving messages for his wife. They went like this, some of them. Uh, he said, that leaves me more time for watching football and making love, he said. And so one of the signs, it said, for all the world to see, but only they know who Donna and Fred are. And one sign read, dear Donna, I love you more than football. Another one later on said, I still get dizzy when we make love, do you? And there were all kinds of those. I don't know. And one of them said, I love you for your mind. I love you for your body. But I love you for your body best. So, <laughs> so love for keeps you on the bench. I had another one here I was going to read to you. Where in the world is it? Uh, tell her so. Tell her so. Okay, I got that one out. Nah, I must have read all of that. All right. Uh, let, me, let me look at page 10 and 12 and see on this thing because I wanted to. Give you one here. That's the one. No, that's the one. I did them. I did all of those. All right. I got one more. I'm going to read you at the end of the thing, and we're just about done. Okay? You've been listening good, and we're just about done. All right. Tell her so. Everybody needs praise. Keep it honest. Praise what? Praise appearance. Praise the house. Praise the meals. Praise kindness. Praise the smile. Praise love making. Praise promptness. Praise listening. Praise smell. Praise the hair. There's, there's a thousand ways to shower praise, and it never will come undone. It is always needed and always appreciated if it is just honest. So be sure you do a lot of praising. Number six and last, get your marriage in the will of God. Not many years ago, somebody wrote me and said, Marvin, uh, we're getting fixing to get married. Uh, uh, will you still marry people? Well, I don't much. I'm gone a lot, and I don't make myself available for that. And they said, you know, uh, my husband's not, not a Christian. My husband-to-be is not a Christian. Can you tell us some good rules how we can get along in spite of that fact? And I said, no, I don't. I don't know any. And in this cold world that we live in today, I'm going to tell you, my God thought marriage up, and he wrote the handbook. The marriage manual is right here in this book we call Holy Bible or How to Have a Successful Marriage. And if you're not going to commit to God who thought it up and pay attention to the rules, you need to buy a new car and put water in the gas tank instead of gasoline and do anything you want because it is your car. And you'll live with the same failure that you're living with in your marriage because you don't realize we came with a God who designed it and we came with a book of operation. We've got to acknowledge His way is best. You could repeat your vows. I was doing this at Garnett one time, and a guy said, Hey, I want you to remarry us. We're coming up on our 25th. And uh, I don't know what date it was. It was 25 couples that said, Hey, me too. And we had a big marriage ceremony. It was the neatest thing, Jody. 25 couples, you know. And I married them all. My wife stood up in the pulpit with me. And I said, Now get your wife and join hands and repeat after me. And, uh, you know, and I said, I, I state your name. And all the men said, I state your name. You know, you know, men, men forget a lot. And then I got down to the point, and I said to them, you may now kiss your bride. And they'd forgot how. You know, yeah, look at her. What do you do, you know? 
It was pathetic to watch all of that. Reaffirm your vows with an open house like our kids did for us on our 25th and stay in a praying mood. And I'm going to close with this. Uh, I read Dear Abby a lot. You know, God bless Dear Abby and Dear Ann. Oh, this one's Dear Ann. And somebody wrote Dear Ann this, and I'll close with this letter and uh, her answer and then pray, and we're done. Dear Ann, may I comment on the letter sign, woke up too late. I think the gal's still asleep. She said, at least a prostitute can have the day off and spend her money as she pleases. And then she went on to gripe because a wife must prepare her husband's meals, raise his children, put up with his relatives, run his errands, keep his house in order, take care of him when he's sick, etc. Why did she get married if she wants to live a completely selfish life? My husband is a laborer. He leaves the house at 7 a.m. and puts in a long, hard day's work. If he can get overtime, he grabs it. When he comes home at night, he paints the house, fixes whatever needs it, and something always needs it. Keeps our car running and helps with the kids. At the end of the week, he hands me his paycheck and apologizes because it isn't more. He never complains when I give him ground meat in 11 different shapes. At night, when he puts his arms around me and pulls me close, I feel that whatever I've done for him during the day wasn't enough. Love and marriage are a cycle. The more you do for the man, the more he tries to do for you. And the more he tries to do for you, the more you love.